I'm sure you can remember your own baptism. My wife and I got baptized a couple of times just to kind of follow some different churches we were involved in. But, you know, it's always good to get baptized a lot. So that's good stuff. Never too many times. So I'm Tim Butler. I'm a former elder here. I'm going to uh, wrap up a series that we started about four weeks ago. So if you're just stepping into the series, um, you're not going to be missing much because it, I'm going to kind of put it in context. And so Kyle talked about a lot of the ideals, a lot of the targets, a lot of the goals, the values, the missions for family. And today I'm going to talk about putting it in context. And really, I want to talk about getting real. I mean, talk about getting real. What a nice segue from the baptism. It just got real for those folks. It just got real. And so I want to address the fact that we live in this um, mess. And then I want to, how do we live in this mess? What do we do in this mess? And, and how do we exist in it? And so I, I sent out an email and all of you got you sent me back a nice one-page summary of your, me- your mess, since I've got like 80 pages of messes that I'm going to read for you right now. Well, maybe I won't do that, but I could do that, right? Because we've, we've all got messes. We've all got something we live with that is, uh, that's messy. So I'm going to make you think, just to kind of start the series today, to get you going where I'm going. I don't want you to answer me out loud, but I want you to think about this. Did God create your mess? Did God create your mess? Did God create your chaos? Does God create chaos? Now, we kind of know the Sunday school answer to that, right? Like, no, God's a God of order. He doesn't do well. One more question is, did God create diversity in the family in a marriage? Did God create diversity? Now, you can lock into that because it's clear that God created all kinds of diversity in the family and in the marriage. I mean, Male and female, right? How more diverse can we get? DNA, opinions differ. I talked to a young lady who was going to get married as a marriage and family therapist. Uh, She was going to get married, and her boyfriend kept his hot sauce in the refrigerator, and she kept her hot sauce in the cupboard. And she said, well, I know we're going to have to have two different hot sauces in this house. And I thought, that's an interesting way of settling it. But there's just differences of opinions, there's, there's opinions, there's personalities, there's persuasions, there's young and old maturing at different ages. And then God in his infinite wisdom and sense of humor created this environment where everything would live together harmoniously. Oh, it's beautiful. All this diversity, the young, the old, the cognitive development, not yet quite there. And God's going to say, yeah, just get along together. So what happened? What happened to this beautiful diversity that God created Where did it get messy? Where did it go south? Where did it unravel? I want to make the argument that sin turned diversity into chaos. Sin turned diversity into chaos, at least created the possibility for diversity to be chaotic. It stepped in. When Adam and Eve did what they weren't supposed to do, God said, don't eat that tree. That tree's, you know, separate, stay away. And they ate it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then all of a sudden, their diversity, their nakedness became uncomfortable. Their differences became uncomfortable. And so they whipped up some fig leaf clothing and they they hid behind that. And all of a sudden, it just wasn't the same because sin had entered the world. They went against their creator, See, before sin, there was harmony. After sin, there was disharmony. That diversity, that differences was not harmonious. So let me jump from that word harmonious 
And to create a word picture for you, think of a think of a hundred piece orchestra with all the diversity, the oboes, the cellos, the piccolos, the drums, the wind, the brass, all that diversity, all capable of playing a very loud noise. But yet together they come together in this harmonious balance of sound, rich sound. What ties them together? Because they're all different. They're all very, very different. What ties them together? The sheet music and the conductor. The sheet music and the conductor pull them all into one space at one time. Now, they certainly have the potential for chaos, but they follow the sheet music. They follow the conductor. Maybe that's a little bit like the Garden of Eden before sin. There was all this diversity, but there was this harmonious balance. So we have this diversity, like I said, called marriage and family. Diversity, living under one roof. Two habits, joining one household, and all those other neat phrases. But then sin comes in, and then self rears its ugly head. And we fire the conductor, we get rid of the sheet music, and then we've got mess. We've got chaos. We can certainly see that in the world around us. But you say, wait, wait, we have a Christ-centered home. We follow Jesus. We go to church. We read the Bible. We have a conductor. We have sheet music. But we all live in a sin-filled culture. And so we're all living with the chaos-producing effects of sin. So we're all tempted to elevate self above the conductor, above the sheet music. That's what we struggle with is when self steps in. So how do we live with the diversity that God created and the chaotic mess that sin created? Meaning we need to get real. Let me give you some maybe silly examples, but a context of what I'm talking about. One of the values in our house is we value a tidy house. I mean, not, you know, not perfect, but we kind of keep things clean. But I also like to make bread. That's one of my hobbies. That's one of my passions. I do it for the love of it. And when I make bread... It's a mess. I mean, there's flour that's airborne. It goes into a couple rooms over, you know. Debbie always points it out. Did you see the air, that flour over there? So, but while I'm making bread, there's a purpose for that, but there's a mess in the meantime. Or when the grandkids come over, we love having them over. They sit in those little high chairs up against the table, those little booster chairs, and at least one-third of their meal goes down behind that one-inch crack in between the chair and the table. It just goes down on the ground. It could feed a family down there. But for a while, it's okay because we live with that. And that's our reality. And that's okay. So we sort of normalize the mess. We excuse the mess. But what does that have to do with marriages and family? Well, think of a two-year-old. Think of the mess a two-year-old brings to the table. They don't know right from wrong yet. They're still learning. They don't have all the language development skills, the cognitive development. They're, they're still working it out. But for now, it's okay. Or is it? Or do we get, like, super frustrated? Or think of, like, learning complex math. I mean, you're going to build, and you're going to build, and you're going to build. You don't know everything yet, but you're working on it. So wherever you are in life, there's a need to resign yourself to your reality and say, you know what, it's okay for now. If you want to have peace this side of heaven. But you might say, Tim, 
We know that. We, we already live like that. Then why do you live so stressed out? Why are you so stressed out? Why is stress such a big deal in our culture? I sit in my clinical days and listen to the stress of marriages and families. The frustration of the diversity. Because on one hand it is okay, on one hand it's not okay. I hear these stories of, this is just normal, but they don't want it. They bring them to me to fix them, fix my kid. I'm like, I can't fix your kid. It's normal. It's, it's the chaos of the house. So on one hand, we say, yeah, I understand it. But on the other hand, we get stressed out about it. So it's that balance that I want to talk about. And sometimes the mess is our fault. You know, I have people who consistently get up too late in the morning, so they're always rushing. They're trying to get the kids out the door. They're always kind of creating a sense of chaos. Well, that's your fault. Just get, 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 get up earlier. <laughs> or you, if you've been married long enough, you really know how to poke your partner so it really gets a nice response. So we do that, and that's our fault. We shouldn't do that. But, but most of the mess is really just about the process of life, the diversity of life, the evolution of life as we get older. Uh, so we need to get real and chill rather than stress out over the mess. Debbie and I are involved in a community group, and it's a, it's a great way to plug into other people's lives, to live in community. We gather, we share, we bless. And it's a great way to get outside of yourself and to get into somebody else's life. And so just a quick plug, if you're not in a community group, I just strongly encourage that. It, it's, it's a piece of your life that is really missing, that you don't know it until you get involved in it. But we have been blessed to be in a community group and to be exposed to a couple that I have now high regards for. And that would be Rob and Cassie Bora. You, you saw them up here last week. They were dedicating three kids. They've walked into a mess. They've walked into a mess. But these guys are amazing that they just aim for the ideal and live in the mess. I mean, they're not, they're not accepting the mess in terms of they're not aiming towards the ideal, but they accept the mess instead of getting all stressed out. I'm just super impressed with these guys. I mean, they're not Jesus. There's only one Jesus, but they're amazing. And they have done such a great job of walking into a mess, acknowledging the mess, understanding the mess, and then when they have to, they accept the mess while they aim for the ideal. And that's sort of the perfect balance. Now, sometimes it's possible to aim for the ideal and not be willing to live in reality. I was at Kermit's one time, which is a four-star restaurant, downtown and uh many years ago i haven't been there in a while for a reason but i was in there and uh i sat down saturday morning i found myself and i'd ordered but i hadn't received my my uh breakfast yet and a gentleman who was many years my senior walked up to my table you know where this is going he said i usually sit there and i said no problem i just took my coffee i got up i moved to another table there was a part of me that wished I could have said, you know what, sit down, let's fellowship together. Tell me about your life. Why is it that you're so anal? But I didn't say that. But, <laughs> but he was looking for the ideal unrealistically. He was looking for the ideal without even considering the fact there's other people on this planet. And so sometimes your ideal is idealistic, it's unrealistic, it's perfectionistic, it's stress-filled in itself. So I'm not talking about that because we live in this real thing called mess. But you might argue, isn't there room for improvement? There's always room for improvement. There's always room for excellence, not perfection, but excellence. But all 
things considered. And that's the point I guess I really, really want to help have you think about is all things considered and how do we balance that out? Proverbs 14.4, a verse that I've quoted many times and it's one of my favorite verses, especially on this subject, where there are no oxen, the manger is spotless, it's clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox, right? Back in those days, that ox wasn't a pet, they weren't like hanging out with it, it was life for them. It brought them abundant crops. But what else it brought them? It brought them abundant mess in the manger. And there was a lot of manger cleaning back then. Now, if you want a perfect manger, of course, don't put any oxen in there. But if we don't have any oxen, we don't have any crops, we can get abundant crops. You see where that's going. So we need the mess of the oxen in order to get abundant crops. Children are a gift from God. He created them, but we're being entrusted with them for a short period of time. And as Kyle has said many times throughout the series, children are a messy gift. Children also are an expensive gift. The recent number, up-to-date number, to raise a child from cradle through gate through age 17, $233,610. That's a lot of money. Up through 17, that's not including college. So family two, about a half a million dollars. Family four, about a million. Now it's another million after they turn 17. That's another story. It's a gift that keeps on giving because you really never get rid of your kids. Not that you want to, but you don't get rid of the expenses either. So when God has blessed you with a marriage partner, when God has blessed you with children to raise, whether they're biological or whether otherwise, there will be mess. There will be mess. So living in the mess of families, living in the mess of marriages, but yet at the same time aiming towards the ideals that Kyle brought with us. And that's where you find peace in the mess. Maybe a way of remembering that is when you recline, resign. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, can you say, you know what? I did the best I could for the day. I did the best I could for the day. Tomorrow's another day. I'll regroup. If Paul in Ephesians, Paul was, uh, in the book of Ephesians, Paul was telling that church there, he said, you know what? Be angry, but, but don't sin. You know, anger's okay. You're going to have emotions, but don't get out of control. Keep yourself in check. And he said, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Well, that's not about let's make sure everybody in the house is doing a happy dance before we go to bed. No, because sometimes your kids are going to go to bed crying because they didn't get the popsicle they wanted or your last words out of your teenager's mouth or I hate you. I mean, that stuff happens. That's real stuff. But don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun set on your anger, which means at some point, resign yourself. This is my house. God allowed me to use it. I'm going to trust the sovereignty of God. I'm going to accept the fact that God knows a whole lot more than I do right now. And I don't know where this thing's going. But I'm going to resign myself to my reality. And I'm going to accept with a peaceful spirit that this is my world right now. And it's okay. Sleep is such a hard thing to have. Especially when you live these stress-filled lives. I hear these stories of stress-filled lives that go right into sleep. You take them right into the nighttime with you. Well, that means no sleep. So why do we live this, this life of, of uh, I know this, Tim, but yet I still don't do this myself. What's, what's, the, what's the disconnect? 
there's a lot of answers, right? But certainly one of them could be, we, we get in, our self gets in the way, our own emotions get in the way, our own emotional limits get in the way. We just get frustrated, and we don't manage ourself well. That's kind of one piece of business that we could talk for four weeks on. But we're also tempted to take on the cultural norms that we see around us, at the very least be distracted by it, but maybe even follow it. Here's what I mean by that. We, we live in this dichotomous society. As Kyle said weeks ago, society tries to bring the ideal down, right? So we don't aim for the ideal. But I'm saying at the same time, we're going in both directions, right? We're embracing mediocrity, while at the same time, we're aiming unrealistically towards perfectionistic, perfectionistic standards. I can't even say it. So we're kind of going both directions at the same time. Culture. On one hand, every kid's a winner, right? Every kid gets a trophy. We teach the lowest common denominator. Morality is relative. Or my favorite, true story, maybe you've read this. Give your kid a gender-neutral name so when they get older, they can decide which way of the metronome they're going to go. I am not kidding. That is kind of a trend right now. Your kid can decide his own gender as he gets older. Makes my stomach sick thinking of that, but that's true. Like, there's no ideals, there's no standards, there's no morals. But on the other hand, we look for the perfect, perfect wedding ideas on Pinterest. We want to have the perfect family photo when it shows up on Instagram. It is like just, it's got everything. It's perfect. Are you kidding? We read the article, and somebody shared on Facebook about five ways to raise perfect kids. Oh, this is it. This is the five ways perfect kids. We get on Amazon the seven ways to ensure that your kid is always happy. Because that is the new standard, happy. Happy kids, let's make sure your kids are happy. I tell parents that all the time, addicts are pretty happy when they're using. Is that what you're thinking? So we're kind of going on both sides of that fence, and that really gets into us. It's hard not to follow that. It gets so confusing if you try to. But this is the same culture that fired the conductor and got rid of the sheet music. So the character goals, the stuff on the inside, gets moved towards relativism, while the visible goals, stuff on the outside, towards, aims towards perfection. So if we can't be good, at least we want to look good, especially in a church setting. We've got to make sure everything's all buttoned up on Sunday morning. Not really. Get real. But does that remind you of any biblical story that analogy of the inside isn't really pretty, but the outside needs to look really sharp. How about the Pharisees? Jesus talked about that in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside also may be clean. So to translate that in today's vernacular, it's the social media family. It looks amazing with so many happy and likes, 354 likes on social media. But on the inside, Dakota hasn't decided whether he or, he or she is a boy or a girl. And the, both parents are living above their means. And they don't keep things in. They're blowing up inside the house. Everybody thinks they're doing well. It's tough not to get influenced by society. It's really tough. I think it might even be almost quasi-impossible to have some influence of society, but it's what I do with that influence. 
So what do we do with the ideals that Kyle shared with us for the past weeks? The stuff on the inside of the cup, the values, the mission statement, the purpose. Is that just a pipe dream? Is that not realistic? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We aim towards the ideal, but we live in reality with grace and compassion. And therein lies the tension between law and the goals, right? This hard, fixed thing, and the grace and compassion which minute by minute moves and changes. Read this verse in Psalm with me. I'll read it. You follow along. I'm going to go intentionally slow so you can really kind of catch the flavor of the verse. Psalm 103, and I'm hoping we have a slide for that. There we go. I thought we did. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're just dust. I love that. He's not waiting to hit us over the head with a two-by-four. We screw up. He said, Tim, don't do it again. And again, and again, Tim, quit doing this. He knows my frame. He knows my reality. Do we know our kids' reality? Do we know our spouse's reality? I have a sweet little now turn three, soon to turn three granddaughter who's got a bit of fears in here. She's got some fears. And if you don't know her frame, you'll think it's rebellion. But it's not rebellion, it's fear. And so if we don't know the frame of our kid sometimes, we'll treat them wrongly. We're not taking them into consideration. Or more importantly, do we know our own frame? Do we know our own potential? Do we know when we're stressed out? Do we know how to manage ourselves? Do we know our own buttons? Do do we know what part of our diversity really gets us going and that we need to manage that ourselves? Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he won't depart from it. We train our kids. We guide them by by our words and our actions. But we all know that actions speak louder than words. And more is caught than taught. So as I've said before, yelling at your child to tell them to stop yelling isn't really good training up of a child in the way they should go. I hear those kind of stories all the time. I was working with a young man who had committed a few things at work that allowed him to have a couple days off, shall we say. He was sent home without pay for a couple days. But he told the family he was on vacation. I said, dude, you're lying. Do you want your kids to lie? Well, no. Did you just hear what you told me? Do as I say now. That doesn't really work very well. But unfortunately, that story comes much closer to home for me because when I was younger, I remember distinctly lying to my daughter Kayla about something that I, would, I justified. It made a lot of sense to me. But I thought, that's a lie. You just lied to her. And to this day, it still not convicts me, but it still reminds me of my potential of being consistent with my words. 
kind of like, I'll be there in a minute. No, you're not. It's no minute. It's an hour. Oh, but they understand what I mean. I don't know. Think that one through. So in all of this, I'm not saying to move the bar of the ideal. Just make sure that you adhere to the same standard you want them to aim towards in this mess called diversity. Model the behavior you want them to follow. As you aim towards the ideal, live in the mess and learn to navigate the diversity with grace and compassion. But diversity means conflict. The key to any marriage longevity, the key to any marriage satisfaction is managing conflict. Same true with family. How do we manage that conflict? How do we live together being different, maturing at different stages, having different knowledge? How do we do that? With grace and compassion, lovingly enforcing the law. When we were younger, we used to have family meetings and kind of, I thought it was neat at the time, probably still is. They would share their views and I wouldn't defend myself. I would share my views, they wouldn't defend themselves. We could really listen to each other. I remember distinctly them telling me the fact that when we go over to company's house, you seem pretty strict on us. We're going to go to somebody else's house. And I remember the next night I said, well, it seems like when you go to somebody else's house, you're worse than normal. <laughs> but it dawned to me where that came from. I'm a PK. I'm a pastor's kid. We had seven kids. When we went over to company's house, I mean, it was like, man, we had to like line up and we had to be like this perfect family because pastors all live in a fishbowl which isn't how healthy, it's not accurate, but they do. And so everybody was checking us out, all seven of us, and believe we're not good kids. But man, we had to really toe the line at company's house we couldn't even breathe. And I carried the same stuff into my own family until I realized that's not healthy, that's not knowing my children, that's not reality. And so if pastor's kids should never be in a fishbowl, they're, they're real just like we are. And so it doesn't really matter to a sense what somebody else sees in your mess because they don't know the whole context. It doesn't mean that you can't receive instruction from somebody that you know and love, and they might give you some wise advice, and that's great. But you're not living your life to make sure that somebody else is happy with your choices. So get real like the folks did in the tank. Get real. Life is messy. Even as the kids get older, you're still involved with a mess. The next generation mess. I'll share a quick story that I had to live this out this week. I had a beautiful day at the zoo. It was a wonderful day. I saw several other moms that were here at the zoo, and it was a wonderful time. I took my two granddaughters there, just me and the grandkids hanging out. It was a really fun time. Get them home before naps so we can not sleep in the car, so we can nap at home. It was great. Oldest daughter's chattering on the way home. The youngest daughter's eating her goldfish, having a fun time. Until I got home, and I opened the back door and realized the youngest child, who wasn't quite potty trained yet, seemed to have soiled herself. Arms, legs, pile of it all over the place. She was up to neck to toe. Goldfish, it was kind of all mixed right in there too. I don't know how many of those goldfish made it. You know where I'm going with that. And I got this big mess that I don't, I mean, I have done my share of soil diapers, but not quite to this extreme. I had to kind of take some action there. So here I am presented with this huge mess. What am I going to do? Get frustrated, get all angry? Don't think this sermon wasn't playing through my head when I thought, this is just great. No problem, sweetheart. I love you. I'll kiss you in a minute, but I'll just kind of carry over here, get the hose out, kind of nail you down there. I took care of her well, threw everything away. But, but it's managing your own emotions in the midst of that mess, in the midst of that diversity. 
It's modeling self-control. I mean, that in itself could be a whole sermon series. But it's being aware of it enough to know when to step back. Just to step back. Take a breath. And then also make time to engage with your kids one-on-one to really know them. Um, I know some kids' parents better than they do. And I only spend like an hour a week with them. But I know them well because I just sit and listen to them. Do you really know your kid? Do you know their frame? Do you know what makes them up? So aim towards the idea. Listen to the podcast and the series if you need to. He had some great ideals. Aim towards those. Be patient with the process. Just breathe. Just breathe. Eugene Peterson, who paraphrased the message, he paraphrased this well-known verse about children being a heritage from the Lord, Psalm 127. Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb is generous legacy. Best gift for what? For teaching us about God's love. For teaching us about our own sinful tendencies. I don't like it when I see my potential coming out in my child. I don't like that at all. For teaching us to see life from God's point of view. You've got to believe at some point that God looks down and says, Oh, man, what a mess. But he's patient. He's kind. So relax. Breathe. Be patient. Don't sweat the small stuff. Entrust your mess to a sovereign God who is working all things together for good. Again, God created diversity. We're living with a God-created diversity in our marriage and family. If God is sovereign, then I'm simply needing to be faithful with what I need to do, but not in charge of the outcome. Because it's that diversity, it's that mess, it's that chaos, it's that stress that causes me to be on my knees and say, God, I need you. I need you now. I need you now. I need you right now. And that's the, that's the relationship God wants with us. There was such an intimacy with him. Now, God didn't change my poopy diaper. I had to change that. But there was a peace of God in the midst of that, right? Understanding the fact that it'll be fine. Breathe. Why don't you stand with me, and then let's, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the mess that you've given us. Thank you for the diversity that you've planted in the family, in the marriages. God, we just can't handle it without you. And we try, but oftentimes we fail. And God, teach us to depend on you more often, all the time. Moment by moment, crisis to crisis. We know the crisis isn't going away, God, and so we love you for creating things in our lives that cause us to be dependent on you. And God, we trust you for the outcome. We trust your sovereignty. We trust that you know what you're doing with our lives. God, we love you. In Christ's name, amen.